Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yippee-yay-yo-kaye. We are back, and it is uh, July 19th, and do you know what's significant, Pastor Rod, about July 19th? I do. Do you? It's before the 20th. It is before the 20th. After the 18th. And it's after the 18th. You're welcome. But you know, we live in a world that just makes up ridiculous holidays for every single day, and there's a handful of ridiculous holidays for July 19th. Some I like to celebrate. You ready for them? Okay. The first one. It is National Barbara Day. So if your name out there is Barbara, today's your day. I don't know why it's National Barbara Day. She only gets one day. Well, I'm a little offended. Why Barbara? Why not? Like, like I don't think there's a National Roderick Day. There might be. I don't think there is. I'm okay with not celebrating that. <laughs> Barbara needs to be celebrated. That one's absurd, but one that I did think was worthy of our attention because it is a uh, a food that has a, a special place in our hearts as Americans, and is that it is barbecue day? not barbecue. It's National Hot Dog Day. Yuck. Yeah, Hot Dog Day. <laughs> Did you see the the hot dog eating competition or hear about it this year? This year, no. Yeah, I can't remember. Joey Chestnut Chestnut is the guy. Yeah, he's like... Undefeated champion. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's trying to beat him or if everybody's like, you get it, man, it's yours. I think Matt Stoney beat him one year. Did he? Mm -hmm. I don't know who that is. He's a small dude, of course. Yeah. A very small dude who's also a competitive eater. But it's so gross. Have you watched them go after those hot dogs? Oh, yes. Yeah, they dip the buns in the water and they just... Makes it slide down more easily. Oh, it's so gross. It's gross so today's national hot dog day yep not celebrating you're not going to celebrate do you like hot dogs i mean i i do I, they have to be like quality dogs it can't be the uh i don't know the six dollar not six dollar six dollar dogs six man that's a quality dogs. dog in my book <laughs> that, is a, that is a quality dog no i like dodger dogs those are good you know the, qual- the quality dogs it just tastes yeah like rich yeah moist moist yeah okay well maybe not that one for me it depends on context juicy maybe like baseball game a hot dog tastes good at a baseball game or on the green on the golf course, a hot dog tastes good on the golf course. On the, do they sell hot dogs at they golf do, courses? Man. Grab a hot dog at the turn, you go out for the back nine. That's weird. Yeah, it fires you up. I feel like golf is the kind of uh, the caviar, escargot. No. You eat highbrowed food at golf. Is no, that not the case? No, because you've paid so much for your clubs in the tea time that all you've got left is to, to <laughs> buy a hot dog. Hot dog, <laughs> hot dog money? Just a hot dog. <laughs> hey, funny. this has nothing to do with what we're studying today. Um, in fact, in the book of Psalms, they would not have eaten hot dogs because so many of them are not made kosher. with pork and they're not kosher. So unless they were all beef hot dogs, which Hebrew National, pretty That's good right. hot dog. Hebrew National. But speaking of Hebrews, <sighs> gotta work on that, bro. We're in the book of Psalms. I thought we got to that pretty good, actually, uh, if I do say so myself, and I just did. So there you go. You're welcome. But hey, we're in Psalm 28, 29, and 30 for our Old Testament reading and first half of Acts chapter 21 in the New Testament. And in Psalm 28, what we get here is an appeal for help, as we've seen so many times again. And again, I think it's just worth noting in this Psalm that though David is petitioning for the Lord to deliver him from dire circumstances... He does not wait for his deliverance to worship God. And that's what we see in verses six and seven after he's uh, uh, lamenting his situation and crying out for mercy from God. He, he still turns in verses six and seven and says, I'm going to worship you in the midst of the valley. Whether you lead me out or not, my worship and praise of God is not contingent upon what God does in my life. He, it, whether he hears this and responds the way I want him to, 
or whether he responds in a different way. Still, I'm going to worship him no matter what. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults with song. I give thanks to him. And so in Psalm 28, we get a good pattern for us when we are going to the Lord in the midst of the valley to remember that our worship doesn't stop as we wait for God to respond. Our worship continues even in the depths, even as we're waiting for him to respond, we can still praise him in the darkness. One thing I would add to that is something I think our our even secular media has caught on to is the goodness of gratitude. I was actually planning on saying this in one of our later Psalms, but since you kind of brought this up already. One of the things that even our, our, our secular uh, psychi- psychiatrists, psychologists, and, and the, the, the media have realized is that it's good to be grateful. Mm. Uh, we should, as Christians, be among the most grateful. Uh, Mary Moeller wrote a book about this not too long ago. I forget what it was, when it was, but I, I read it. And, and she talked about being jostled. She talks about when, when you're jostled by life, um, what falls out of you? Like a fountain. If, if jostle the fountain, what falls out of the fountain is the water because that's what's in the fountain itself. What happens when life jostles you? Are you jostled and you pour out complaint and bitterness or do you pour out gratitude to the Lord? And I really like how David, is, is Psalm 28 by David? Yep. It is of David. I could probably guess and just be, be right most of the time. Most of them. Yeah, so David's jostled and what pours out of his heart it is not anger or vitriol um, or even exasperation. It is nevertheless, I'm going to trust you. And I think that's such a helpful posture for us to have gratitude. When you get jostled Christian, what comes out of you? And this is such a good thing for us as, as believers, whether it's with your family or just other believers in the church to model this. Sometimes I, I like to, to talk about it as suffering well. And I can't remember who that was that first introduced that concept to me. I know I've heard Matt Chandler talk about it quite a bit when he went through his cancer situation, but mm-hmm. A Christian who suffers well, in other words, they're they're in the valley, they're in the trial, and yet they're praising God. We've we've got people. I know you could probably list a, a hundred people right now in your life, maybe not that many, but combined, we we all could of of people who have suffered well that that they're going through it, and yet they're still thankful for the things. And that's that's when it's super convicting when you see somebody who you're looking at their life and feeling bad for what they're going through, and they're outdoing you and showing gratitude to God. I mean, that's. That's powerful, and certainly, men and and uh, and and women listening to this, moms, dads listening to this, set that example for your kids. When the family is going through a, a difficult time, make sure that your kids see you still grateful for what God is doing in your life. It's powerful for them, even in the good times. Yep. Perhaps especially in the good times. Practice it now. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. Psalm twenty nine. We get to uh, just a, a psalm that can be summed up just kind of in the concept that, that God reigns supreme over everything. And David is a- acknowledging that. And he uses this word ascribe, which we may not use that word very often, but it, it means to to give. It means to attribute. To it declare. means to, yeah, to declare, um, to credit someone as, and, and in this case, as, as worthy, as glorious. And that's what he's calling. And notice what, what David is doing here. It's somewhat bold off the bat. He's calling for the angelic creatures to worship God. He's saying, hey, angels, get about worshiping God. Give him glory. Give him the honor. Do his name there. And and this is somewhat of a, a, a just metaphorical and, and a literary device that he's, he's using here because angels, that's what they do. That's what they were created to do. They're the Isaiah 6 picture. They're there. They're worshiping God already. So it's not as though they're you know sitting on their angelic keisters, not <laughs> not doing what God has designed them to do. But, but David is just, he's saying, this is how great God is. It starts in the heavens and it, it transcends. It goes down to the earth. And that's verses three through nine. He's talking about God's reigning supreme over creation there 
and how the voice of God is strong and how God makes uh, the, the, the creation to act in, in accordance with what it's supposed to do. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Verse nine, there's some parallels from Job at the end of Job when God asked Job, hey, Job, where were you when I did all of these things? Uh, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. It's just a cool Psalm. Psalm 29 is of sitting back and going, wow, God is powerful and he is worthy of glory. Unless you think that verse six is a reference to Lord of the Rings, Sirion is a reference to Mount Hermon. Uh, it's not a, <laughs> in fact, if you notice there in your little, if you have an ESV Bible, and again, that's what we use here. Deuteronomy 3, 9 is the verse in reference here. The Sidonians are who called Mount Hermon Sirion. So in case you're wondering, what does Sirion refer to? The idea here is the God, the, the God of the storm. God is the Lord of the storm. You see elements of this all throughout here. And God is the God of the most powerful storm you've ever met. And some of the most powerful storms I've ever seen in my life are right here in Texas. Yeah, I have been awed at the beauty and the grandeur and majesty, the power of the storms that pass through these parts. And I appreciate Psalm 29 more than I ever have because of that very reality. And I love it. And in fact, uh, I'm going to cross my fingers here. I'm not superstitious, but Lord, I want to see more. Like I'm excited <laughs> about, I mean, I don't want my house destroyed or anything, but I would like to see some, man, I, I would love to be outside in the middle of the thunderstorm and just watch it all unfold. I mean, that would be a pretty cool day for me. Maybe not on Sunday morning, though. Not Sunday, because we have church, Lord. We've had two Sundays, and this last Sunday, that storm <laughs> came rain. out of nowhere. <laughs> Man, it was like blowing sideways. It was blowing our flags over. It's like someone doesn't want us meeting, bro. Yeah. Woo. Yeah, well, we met anyways, and God we was good. Did. God was good. The Lord that. of the storm let us meet yeah. regardless. Yeah. Sirion, yeah, that, that's a good point of clarification. It's also not the voice of your assistant on your iPhone, which... <laughs> hey, Sirion. The next the next <laughs> edit or update, you're not even going to have to say hey on that. So. Wow. You're not going to be able to read Psalm 29 and not have your sister perk up and say, hey, what what do you need? Hey, Psalm 30 then is, uh, notice the superscription of Psalm 30. It's a Psalm of David again, but then it says a Psalm at the dedication of the temple. Who built the temple, Pastor Rod? Wasn't David. It wasn't David. It was David's son. It was Solomon that built the table. Crazy. How was he there? This is why I know time travel is a thing. Right. Psalm 30. Because, yeah, no. So there's, there's two possibilities here. Number one, it really means the dedication of the house. And so some have suggested that this is the dedication of the, of David's palace. Cause that's what it literally says. Right. And in the, in the, the Hebrew, right. Not temple, but house right. it's been interpreted as, as temple. So this could be David's house, the palace, that this was a Psalm that he wrote for the dedication of his house or, or the tabernacle or the tabernacle or uh, so I guess there's there's three potentials, or it was added later on as this was a psalm that was adopted and brought into the the dedication of the actual temple, um, and so it's possible this was written and then recited at the dedication of the temple, and so that's where the superscription came. So either way, this is not implying that David built the temple, but With this no is, time travel. You no, mean? no, no, no time oh, travel. Sorry, man. It's really hoping the Delorean made an appearance. <laughs> But this is a, a a psalm of praise and thanksgiving, and it's got some of the just most encouraging uh, lines in it. Verse four and five there, sing praises to the Lord, give thanks to his holy name. His anger is but for a moment, and his favor, though, is for a lifetime. And weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And mm, that's uh, such, love a, that. such a good thing to hold on to for us and hope in. Joy comes with the morning. Yep. I like that. Yep. All right, well, let's jump over to our, our New Testament reading. Can I ask a question about yeah. verse 11 in, in Psalm chapter 30? Yeah, please do. Why don't we dance in our churches? Mm. Yeah, you've Psalm turned my morning into dancing. Verse 11, you've turned yeah. my sadness, my sorrow into exuberant worship, dancing. So uh, why do you think our churches, and with the exception of a few, and there, some of our Christian brothers do like 
dancing with <laughs> flags and roller skates and things. And hey, more power to you guys. Clearly, you're fulfilling some aspect of the of the call to worship. Why do you think most churches don't dance? I think the word that comes to mind in a lot of it is culture and cultural expectations and cultural norms. Mm. And I, I do think that that has influenced a lot of what our worship looks like today. And I think Ooh. in um, that's why I would say, is it wrong to dance in worship? No, I don't think it's wrong to dance in worship. And especially I think there's some areas where that fits the cultural norm and cultural expression of joy and thanksgiving. It's, it's looked different in our tradition. And that comes from, you know, the European tradition of Protestantism and everything else that has right. passed down through the ages, that it's a more somber and a different expression of joy in the house of worship. So if you were to go into, to, for instance, our church uh, today and begin to worship in the middle of the service by getting We're up dancing. and dancing, yeah. there would be a distraction to the rest of the people there in the church. And as we are gathering together as the corporate body and not just as individuals on a Sunday morning worship experience, we need to be mindful of those things and, and understand some of the cultural norms of the expression of worship. So it's it's something that I would, if that were to happen, we would want to treat delicately within our church environment. We wouldn't like point fingers and send our gatekeepers on them and tackle them and, and drag them out. But I do think there's something that we need to be mindful of the fact that we are drawing together corporately. And if I'm doing something that's distracting to the the larger group, then I need to understand that and die to my preferences in favor of being unifying for the whole body. So what would you say to someone who says, so I guess this is kind of in the realm of the raising hands. Like some people raise their hands. Other people don't like to do that because they don't want to be a distraction or even to feel self-conscious about that. What would you say to the person who says, well, seems to me like that would be that person's problem because scripture calls us to dance or at least it, at least heavily suggests that dancing would be a good thing. So in, in reference to that person, how might we answer them? I, I think we got to be careful on going, okay, what is scripture calling us to dance? Where, where are we seeing that would be my first question is what commands are you pointing to on that? And we see the Psalm psalmist talking about dancing, but if it's commanded for the context of the church, I don't think we're seeing it commanded for the context of the church. If we look at the practice of the early church, we don't see it observed in the practice of the early church either. We see singing, we see um, them meeting together, we see the teaching of the word, we see the breaking of bread, we see fellowship, we see communion, but we don't see that example of, and here's the dance-off period of the <laughs> early church in I, Acts. No one's saying there's a dance-off. Okay, Psalm, okay, so I just pulled up the cross-reference under that same, that same phrase there. Uh, Psalm 150 verse four, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with the strings and the pipe. So uh, a strict literalist would say, and I'm not saying that I am, I'm saying a strict literalist would say, oh, look, there it is. Praise him with these things. We should have strings and pipe in the worship service. We should have tambourines. Where are the tambourines? Pastor PJ? Right. And I would respond by saying that's not written to the church. That's written to Israel. That's written in the time of the the Israelite. The, not, this is even prior to, to temple worship taking place here. And so that's a different, and we've used the word multiple times, dispensation in the life of the the, the people of God, to use the, the umbrella term for everything. And so when you look again at the New Testament model of the church, we don't see the same things taking place there. And again, is that a cultural issue? Is that uh, is that something, it's not nothing that's changed about the character of God. So it's not that God would look at dancing and say, I don't delight in dancing. We're not Baptists who say dancing is sinful, so there's no dancing in the church. But I would come back to- Hey, hey I, not all Baptists say that. <laughs> We don't want to besmirch the Baptist here. I don't, I don't dance. I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. Right. Isn't that the old line? Um, but, but that's, 
it's, it's again, comes back to what are the cultural norms? If, if we go to church in a different society, in a different culture, for instance, I remember I had friends in high school that went on a mission trip to, to a, a Samoan Island and the, the men there wore what they called lava lavas, which lava lavas. was a, a wrap that resembles what we would call a skirt, right? Oh. But that was the traditional norm. That was the cultural norm. That was what was expected to go into that worship service and not be a distraction to those around you. If the men were to walk in in shorts, that would have been a massive distraction to everybody in there. Would it have been sinful? Mm. No, but their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ in that culture said, okay, this is part of the cultural norm. I'm going to do what what is part of the cultural norm there. Mm. And I'd rather not be wearing a skirt, but I'm going to do it because it's, it's what is good here. So to the person that's like, well, that's their problem. I would say, no, that's, that's your problem. That's our problem. Because church, right. Because you've got a, a heart that's more individualistic when you're thinking about church and, and church is not primarily about you as the individual, but about the, the local body of Christ as a community coming together to worship God. And we want to be sure that we're not distracting in the way that we do that. That's very helpful. But do you know what this means, Pastor PJ? It means this means I have to take back my dancing shoes. Okay. Well, that's Damn. okay. It's especially if they're tap shoes, that would be super. No, they weren't tap. They okay. were just, you know, no, but that, yeah, that is, that's, that's a helpful question there. And, and again, just to be clear, I'm not saying that it's sinful. I'm just saying dance privately. Right. Go for right. it. Right. Yeah. Go wild. Maybe don't go wild, but just dance privately. Hey, Acts chapter 21, uh, we get Paul continuing on his missionary journey and he sets sail and he's coming back towards uh, Jerusalem here and he, he ends up in Tyre first, um, which is in the region of Phoenicia there. And if you pull up your atlas, he goes from Tyre and then he begins to kind of like a rock skipping off the, the coast of of, uh, the, of Israel there as we know it today. He begins to make his way down south and then eventually over to Jerusalem, but he's on his way there. And I just noticed the detail of Luke as, as we... Um, open up here in verse three, it says, when we had come in sight of Cyprus and Luke is using we, because he's with them at the time, when we had come in in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and laid it at Tyre. So he's even noticing here their path that they sailed underneath Cyprus. So the island was to the left of the ship as it was sailing back towards Jerusalem there. It's just neat to see the detail of the doctor uh, again there. Uh, but notice he's there and it, it says through the spirit, verse four, these people that, that greeted him were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And so mm. that needs some explanation, doesn't it? Sounds like the spirit's not sure what he wants him to do. Right. If we take it that this is the spirit prophesying through them saying, Paul, you shouldn't go to, to Jerusalem, but that's not what we read here. It mm-hmm. says through the spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Okay, mister, what are you doing with these words here? It sounds like the Spirit's telling him not to go. It sounds like that. But I think what we what we see here is the Spirit had shown them what was awaiting Paul, much like he's going to do with Agabus a little bit later on in the reading. And so knowing, hey, through the Spirit, that Paul was going to be arrested in Jerusalem, they were trying to dissuade Paul from going because they love him. And in fact, Luke's even going to join in this later on in this same chapter in chapter 21. Luke's even going to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm with them after he hears Agabus. He's going to say, don't go, Paul. But we know that it was the Spirit's will for Paul to go and, and God is ordaining all of these things through Paul. And so this is not that the Spirit is commanding Paul not to go, but the Spirit is revealing to everybody, hey, this is what's going to happen when Paul goes. Similar in, in Acts chapter 20, although not in as much detail, the Ephesian elders there knew that this was the last time they were going to see Paul. And so they were weeping. So there was a general understanding among the people that the Spirit was providing that, that, that Paul was going to, to eventual martyrdom. Yeah, so it's a bit confusing. Uh, I, I have seen a, a few different approaches to that passage, and some suggest that maybe Paul was, I don't know, not that he was going against the Spirit, but that he determined, and with the Spirit's approval, no less, that he was going to do these things. And that what's happening here is that the Spirit's giving him some opposition, saying, hey, don't 
if this, unless you want to die, Paul, maybe don't go. Because verse 4 does seem, I mean, on its face anyway, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Anyway, the Bible Knowledge Commentary, if you don't have that, that was a helpful resource. Uh, they, they offer five different options or five different ways of approaching this. Um, and, and they start with the idea that was, was Paul wrong in pursuing his course at Jerusalem? Probably he was not violating God's will for several reasons. And they go on to list many of them for you. Some of them Pastor PJ already told you. But in any case, a good Bible commentary is helpful for, for this. And, and we would suggest the Bible knowledge commentary, one of the best that you can get on the subject. Right. And that's that opens the door to the, the way that the Spirit leads us, right? There are some times where you're going to get good counsel from two different people that are both godly people. And it may be that the Spirit is, quote unquote, behind both of those bits of advice, even mm. though they may be conflicting. And the reason is, is, is there's, and here's a word that I'm going to drop ready for this special. No, I'm not. There's Let's freedom for the believer in that instance to make his decision. Libertarian freedom. There may be, uh, no, not libertarian freedom, but though there may be credit and in, in even spiritual guidance behind both there. So now that we've confused you uh, wholeheartedly on that, well, Paul, he says it wasn't half-hearted. Right, wholeheartedly. We don't go things halfway. They keep going. They go to Caesarea there, uh, Caesarea Philippi, that is up north in Israel, and they encounter Philip the evangelist. You remember Philip from chapter 8? Oh, I remember Philip. So Philip's still doing the work, and he's active, and he's there in, in Caesarea, and he's evangelizing, um, and he's got these four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Eligible bachelorettes. Right. Come on. Now, what are they doing? Prophesying. They're prophesying. Do we have female prophets in the church today? Do we have prophets in the church today? Ooh, depends on what you mean by the word prophet, Pastor right. PJ. And we, some churches would say prophecy is, is equivalent to preaching and teaching. It's okay. not the route that I take. I take okay. that, that prophecy is foretelling. Prophecy is, is telling what is yet to happen. Mm. And prophecy was active during this dispensation of the church as God was still speaking through the prophets. And sometimes that was direct revelation. And sometimes that was expounding, these prophets expounding upon revelation that had already been given, but then giving further clarification to that. And so you've got these these four virgin daughters who are prophesying. Now, what did that look like? Well, a couple things we know from another passage where Paul talks about prophets and the rules for prophets in 1 Corinthians 14 that I think is helpful here. Number one is that that prophets were subject to other prophets. So if a prophet said, I've got a prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14, 32 said, the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. So in other words, a prophet couldn't go one off and go, well, I'm okay because you may not agree with me, but my prophecy is my prophecy and your prophecy is your prophecy. Mm. If a prophet was saying something that the other prophet said, no, we don't agree with this, then he needed to be checked by them. The spirit is subject to the, the other prophets there. And then later on in 1437, it says, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So there you have Paul separate out the scriptural writings from these prophecies, saying that the scriptural writings hold clout and power and authority over any of the prophecies that were given at the time by Paul saying, you need to be subject to the, the writing and the commands of the Lord, even if you claim to be a prophet or claim to be spiritual in what you have to say. And one of these prophets is a guy named Agabus. In Acts chapter 11, verse 28, we ran into Agabus prior to this when he was prophesying about the coming famine. And so Agabus shows back up here and he does something unique. He has a, a different teaching approach. He sure takes his, does. his belt off. I bet he was a Sunday school teacher. Right. Probably. Like I he mean, he had flannel, flannel graphs, <laughs> the whole thing. He's like, okay, Paul, here's you and here's <laughs> the Romans. Ah. Yeah. He takes off his belt and he, he binds 
Paul's hands and he's acting out this prophecy that's in, indicative of what's awaiting Paul when he gets to Rome, which is this imprisonment. And, uh, and so this causes Luke and the others now to double down on trying to persuade Paul not to go. And we get that amazing statement in verse 13 when Paul says, you're breaking my heart. What are you doing? He says, I'm not, I'm not only ready to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of Christ. What a, what a singular focus Paul had at this point in his career. Man, give that to all of us. I want that. Right, I right. Hope when it comes time for us to die, that we're as bold as he is. Yeah. And then they finally see, okay, look, he's not going to be persuaded. We ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Which maybe to the point you were making earlier, Pastor Rod, maybe this was them saying, okay, God, you sort things out here. We feel like we're giving him scriptural and spiritual counsel right. not to go. And he's convinced that you're leading him to go. So we're going to th- say at the end, okay, God, your will be done. You do what you want to do, Lord. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's a, a, not just a cliche statement, right? And sometimes we have to get there. Sometimes as believers, we're going to have disagreements with each other or Strong disagreements, disagreements yeah, too. On, on what we should do or which direction we should go. And th- I think this is a healthy mindset to embrace to say, okay, God, we're going to just trust you. We want your will to be done in this situation. Seems like a call back to the Paul Barnabas situation with John Mark. And when there was a sharp disagreement, and I don't think that that's exactly happening here, but there is a, there is certainly a sense of Paul saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're saying, don't go to Jerusalem. At the end of the day, to live in peace, we have to be willing to say, okay, let the Lord's will be done. Both sides, let's lay down our arms. Paul's set. We're just going to let him do what he's going to do. For sure. And maybe God's will for you today is that you have a hot dog on National Hot Dog Day. Ugh. No. Or not. Or not. Or not. But I know we would love for you to tune in again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. And that's better than a hot dog. See you guys. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.